Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Newspeak, the New Culture Forum's weekly current affairs programme. My name's Emma Webb and I'm your host and this week I'm joined, as always, by Peter Whittle, the director and founder of the New Culture Forum, and by Philip Kisseley, senior fellow, academic and cultural historian. So before we begin um, going on to this week's topics, this will unfortunately be my last show, um, oh. but I will not be leaving the NCF mm. team. Peter might hopefully allow me to come back and yes. um, and join some shows in the future. So I won't. I'll still be knocking around, um, but I'm going to be focusing on another project. Emma, I have to say, I mean, first of all, thank you very much yeah. right, for doing it so graciously. Uh, but also, it, you you will see from the comments, I'm sure, mm. after this show, the 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 sorrow. Uh, that will be expressed because you're not going to be doing it. I mean, there's a real fan club going. You know. I, I should know every time <laughs> I've been sitting in for you. I feel I really sad about it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. We're like a family. But you I'm are like... going to be coming back. You will be a guest. Yeah, I'll still, so, I'll still be yeah. knocking around. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, hopefully Peter will let me come back and oh, guest and also, host and <laughs> should, be, should be said, actually, at our uh, conference in yes. April. You're going to be speaking there, aren't you? Yes, I yes. will be there at mm. the St. George's Day Conference this year as well. So um, any viewers who come along, come and say hi, and I will still be knocking around. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about <coughs> the Metropolitan Police and how rotten the institution has become. We'll also be talking about um, the Ramadan lights that have been put up um, all over the West End. And we'll be talking about Boris Johnson's legacy or what's left of it. Uh, but before we move on to that, um, this week we also um, saw the premiere of um, Mark Sidwell's documentary series, The West, and that will be out this Sunday. Um, Peter um, can yeah. tell us a bit more about that. Yes, well, you were there at the screening, weren't you? Well, we had a great screening of it uh, on Tuesday. Here Ken in Clark would be proud. Yeah, <laughs> so in London. Uh, this is, uh, as you know, you're, you're in it uh, as a contributor. This is six-part series called The West. Timing could not be better. Uh, and it is to an extent inspired by what Ken Kenneth Clark did with civilization mm. back in 1969, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yes, 69. And uh, it's presented by Mark Sidwell. And, uh, and a beautiful job in filming it by the man who's currently behind the camera here, mm. um, Ollie Hewitson. And uh, it starts on Sunday. So that was a preview screening we had. And it starts this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Uh, so please do do watch, won't you? Um, we actually have got a trailer for it here, a little clip to give people a little sense of it, if you'd like to. Yeah. 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 Why do people attack the West? And why within the West is there does there seem to be a sort of uh, imp of the perverse that wants to destroy everything that gave us what we have? There are such things as British values. There are such things as uh, Western values. We've got to be confident in what they are. And that is the only way that we will continue to thrive as a society and as a civilization. The West is under attack. We live in the freest, healthiest and wealthiest societies in human history. Yet as authoritarian and oppressive regimes threaten us from without, a new movement within tells us to feel nothing but shame for who we are. Welcome to the West. This is my take on the great and still unfolding adventure of who we are and why it matters. This is a history of how our extraordinary, unconventional civilization came to be 
and why it must be defended. It's a fascinating and often unexpected journey, stretching back 15 centuries to the fall of Rome. And it starts with a mystery, the loss of Western self-confidence. What on earth happened to the West? Well, I will definitely be re-watching it. Well, yes, no, um, I don't know about you I'll two. I'll certainly be there. <laughs> Unfortunately, I couldn't be there on, on, on Tuesday because I wanted to see the West, but I was stuck in the North. So oh. uh, it was... I, I, the, the, the photographs... It's a very misleading sentence. The, the looked, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the photographs looked stunning uh, and it looked like a brilliant night. It, it was, and, and you know, somebody said actually at the screening, um, you could actually turn the sound out or rather the commentary and just have the music and pictures and it would almost show what is so wonderful about the West in yeah. and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that that... I thought the introduction true. was incredibly moving. Um, yes, I think so. The viewers have all that to look forward to. And also we've got <laughs> Constantine Kissing in it, we've got Professor Nigel Bigger, mm -hmm. yeah. good, good self. Zoe Strimple. Zoe Strimple in his, uh, and so uh, a lot of good things. It, it, it's great. I'm very proud of it because it goes right to the very, very heart of what we're meant to be doing here, yeah. you know? Mm. I'm very excited to see the later yeah. episodes as well. Yeah. So, the Metropolitan Police, yeah. <laughs> rotten yeah. to the core, mm. um, but the, I guess the question is, in what way? So the Casey Review came out this week, um, detailing what, the, well, what she concluded um, was, uh, <clears throat> sorry, was uh, symptomatic of institutional racism, misogyny, sexism and so on um, and we've been talking off air about this brilliant article by Joanna Williams in, in Spiked, Spiked yeah. and she I think quite rightly you know acknowledges the findings of this report are you know they show that the Met, Met has become deeply deeply rotten um, but she questions again I think rightly the use of um, institutional institutional racism she questions the, the the wording of that conclusion which i think is very um sort of the, the term is very ideologically loaded now mm. um so what what do you what do you think about that do you think that she's right to question the conclusion yeah i i, I think she is because the term just invites well actually it invites a whole load of glee from organizations like the bbc because um the first the first time i heard about the the, uh, the report and the discussion of the report was a, a discussion on BBC Radio, and they essentially they were just loving it, you know. Now the the detail is appalling. Some of the examples in the report is just absolutely appalling. So you you, you cannot say that the uh, the Met is mm -hmm. in any 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 good shape at all. It's not. It's rotten. It is rotten to the core, as you say. But that doesn't mean it's institutionally racist, institutionally homophobic. Mm -hmm because at the same time as all of these instances are going on and it's not just a few bad apples it's it's a, yeah. it is a culture but 
At the same time as all of those things are going on, you'll have people, you know, coppers in, in high heels and, and mascara. Yeah. Uh, you'll have a pride lanyard. You, as, as Joanne says in, in, the, uh, in the article, actually, you'll have people, you know, taking the knee for BLM and yet at the same time, indulging in all this massively bigoted behavior, you know, cutting the beards of, of Sikh mm-hmm. colleagues and, and, and being grossly misogynistic and all of those things. But what it shows is actually that all of the wokeness, all of the indoctrination just does not work. No, completely. And, and that's, what, that's the takeout from all of this, I think. You know, I think that using the term in institutional mm. anything, it implies that if you were to remove all of the people from the institution that there would still be something about it that would be racist sexist and so on Mm. Um, but that of course is not what is meant by this because it is believed that reform is Mm. possible and i think mark rowley's the um, commissioner of the met was quite right and he was interviewed about this um on lbc he was quite right to step back from the term Mm. institutional race because in a way it actually hamstrings you from being able to deal with the problem because there are things like um, one of the and I I think it's interesting that this has come out a lot in the in the press because obviously this has disturbed people deeply and for obvious reasons that um, the fridges in in the um, that are used to hold rape samples which is, which is weren't being properly maintained and so the the primary evidence in mm. these rape cases was just being destroyed mm. by the fact that the money wasn't being <coughs> prioritised properly. It wasn't mm. going on fixing these fridges. It was going on weird things like camouflage gear mm. that you obviously don't need in London. Mm. Um, but do you do you think, Peter, that using the term institutional racism or sexism or whatever, that that's not helpful in actually dealing with the reality of the problem in the same way that like all of the high heels and pride flags are just a sticking plaster for what's actually going on within the institution. Well, yes, well, I don't know whether that's a sticking uh, sticking plaster in that sense. First of all, I would say that it's a cliche now to say something's institutional, this or that. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the point where I think it has no it's meaningless. effect. When it's it, become like, it, it's become similar to saying very. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, it, uh, when yeah, was it very, first? very, very, actually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was very first used, wasn't it? Um, in the McPherson report, Stephen Lawrence mm. report, I think. And I mean, basically, it's used about anything. I've even heard the NHS be called institutionally mm. racist. I'm not questioning that these problems are there. I would look at it slightly different way, not unlike uh, with corporations now, mm. is that the organization stops doing the proper job when it becomes so concerned with woke issues mm. mm-hmm. and, th- and that's, so the that's th- because in, in t- there's no question about it was when i used to have to be on these uh, committees at the uh, london assembly mm. the police and crime committee you dealt all the time with senior people they were as about as woke as you can't they were very weak mm. um and you thought oh dear 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 you know but i think that actually the preoccupation with with that mm. mm-hmm. is what maybe has allowed this stuff to simply well, and joanna williams yeah. concluded her article by <coughs> by essentially saying that that she was concerned that i hope that i'm not <laughs> um, sort of misrepresenting her argument but my understanding was that she was saying that she's concerned that if the police go on to focus on dealing with institutional racism sexism and so on rather than focusing on doing their job, which mm. is solving crimes, mm. that actually that's 
similar to what you're saying, Peter, that's sort of, that's what set things out of whack. They're mm. focusing on doing all of these things. Like, I mean, it's incredible to think that one of the, one of the main um, things that we often criticize the police for is that they focus so much of their time and resources on policing people's tweets mm. and policing, mm. and now policing people's, literally policing people's thoughts. Yeah. And some of this as well, this is to do with bad law as well. It's to do with the police being asked to enforce things that they shouldn't, be enforcing whether and they don't understand the police wading into identity politics and and woke it they just don't understand it they're not trained to do that okay so and and they shouldn't be anyway because it's nothing to do with them so but, but there's just one more point if, if i can make the key thing here is is crime prevention isn't mm -hmm. it and being fully engaged with the with the with the main focus the core objective of their job if they're not engaged with that and they're interested in wearing high heels and and mm -hmm. and, and being woke and dancing in the street at, at, at pride marches one nobody respects them okay that's the main thing and two more to the point deep down a a, a, a core institutional issue if you like they don't respect themselves i don't think because they're not doing their job it comes back to what what you're saying they're not do they're not there doing what they're supposed to be doing and i think that is a real drain on morale so it sort of came it started a long time ago i mean it's a police service now not yeah. a police force for yeah, start. yeah. Uh, that's one thing the i would like well, when you said crime prevention <laughs> that actually has not been the reason for the peace for quite a long time yeah. they're entirely reactive yeah so mm -hmm. hence no bobbies on the beat and mm. all of that kind of thing mm. every election oh we're going to put more bobbies on the beat mm. doesn't happen but <coughs> once upon a time it was about that i mean the, the point was that, you know you got to know the cops in your area and all of that and there you you know he or she would become you know cognizant of the uh of the area they mm. would know when things were going bad mm -hmm. things like that now they just turn up in these swooping cars mm. and in the meantime are not to be seen anywhere mm. um and i think that so you've got to go right back to robert peel's mm -hmm. principles mm. actually and also the other thing i think is very very important is they're no longer seen as arising from the mass of people they're meant to be policing mm -hmm. and they always said they yeah. were from Bottom the people up. you know yeah. that's why there was always an incredibly good relationship with the police yeah. compared to and but now they're just a representation <coughs> of, of middle-class sensibility in mm. the sense that coppers have to have a degree now I don't think coppers that's need crazy a degree. That police they don't have need to have a degree. degree you know and so it's that that point you've made about them being for and of the community mm -hmm is so important and that and that's that's the that's the missing layer isn't it so i think what they need to do what they need to take from this report and they won't mm -hmm. take it from this report they'll just do more pride marches there'll be more high heels and, and mascara mm. but what they need yeah. to take from this report is to go back to first principles of what policing yeah, what you don't want them to be doing is doing more of that sort of performative stuff yeah so that it makes it look because obviously that hasn't helped yeah. the situation or yeah. but here here's what i think the, the the sort of like crux of the question is that so if you you know do you believe that if you were to just for the police to have the police force just solely focus on doing what the police are supposed to do yeah. dealing with crime getting rid of all of the extraneous stuff that everybody agrees that they shouldn't shouldn't be focusing on mm. and then in addition to that obviously that one one aspect of the casey um 
reviews recommendations is is to do with vetting because obviously mm. the police should be quite stringently vetted and it seems mm. that they haven't been mm. so those two things aside do you think that that's enough or do you think that there needs to be something in addition to that because when you start talking about cultural change mm. I noticed that in that LBC interview that um, Mark Rowley did with Nick Ferrari that he was asked about recruiting more female police officers mm. and Mark Rowley said that they were about 30% female police officers which mm. I actually think is quite a lot mm. I would, I'm surprised mm. that there would be that many women mm. who would want to be police officers um, but <clears throat> I don't think that 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 because that the implication of that is there that men a, are the problem yeah so a, how do you like well there was a I, I heard him talk mm -hmm. on whenever it was was it uh, was it Monday morning when this when this came out and there was a real red flag for me and and he was you know he was he was so on the defensive the poor sod I mean what else could he be you know but I think he, he handled it quite well he was but there was one thing he said I thought oh no you're going back this, this is this is the heart of the problem he was saying look we want we want more representation of different kinds of people in other words he was saying we want to recruit on the basis of gender yeah. sex uh, and race you know and and absolutely no you recruit on who can on the basis of who can do the job you don't recruit on what people mm -hmm. look like how people act and how people feel and hopefully not at the expense of vetting because you need to ensure that you're getting the best people for the job mm, mm. it's like discriminating your way towards equality it's just mm. never gonna work no I, I, I think the one thing that really worries me in a way is that the use of this term institu institutional mm. particular institutionally racist um, that plays right into the hands of everybody who's going on about you know systemic racism mm. generally mm. Um, and uh, you know critical race theory the people who believe that everything is stacked against non-white people um, and that plays right into their hands by using those terms um, I, I, I again say I think that the top brass have been so concerned with all this woke stuff that in fact yes it has gone rotten and as you say there are too many instances for it just to be the odd one mm. um, Perhaps many of them are not of good caliber. They mm. are, you know, that there's nothing worse than a, a mixture of wokery and thickness. Which is way. which is what you've said time and time <coughs> again. Whenever anything comes up about this, and, and I think it's the best description of what's going on. But mm. do you do you think that if the police were to, to just function as a police force traditionally, that all the rest would follow? No. Or do you think that the Met is now so rotten and so? deeply deeply messed up like this stuff to do with the rape rape fridges is yeah. like so disturbing mm. but do you think that is it is it enough would the rest follow no. or do they have to do something else like no, no. I, breaking I, I up think the met or you can't you can't just take the met or or the the police for, the police force or law enforcement as a discrete entity you have to take the whole thing mm. and they can't work on their own when the judiciary and 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 the and the mm -hmm. processes of lawmaking and and you know the courts don't function in and any and also parliament way keep making mm. these extremely exactly. vague laws exactly. then they have to enforce things that and not just parliament mm. either the college of policing with these mm. nchis that's i'm convinced that's another reason why public trust is at an all time low mm. So it's this kind of toxic mixture of things. Yes. But I just don't think that I'm not fully convinced that if you, I'd like to think that with all institutions, if they just functioned with their proper telos, their mm. proper purpose in mind, that the rest would follow. 
I'm just not entirely convinced looking at this sort of like litany and it's not just the stuff in the Casey review it's the other stuff mm. that we've been talking about for months and months and months I'm just not completely convinced that firstly the Met could get back to just function not just the Met but all police forces around the country all, could right. get back to just functioning as a, as a normal as sort of just a basic police force so what would you what would you put in their place I don't know I don't know that's so that's I, I just I don't because I don't know what else you could do no. other than to just try and get them no. to, to vet them properly, ensure that you've got high caliber police officers and to focus solely on the, per on the purpose of policing. And then maybe you could deal with individual instances around mm. that. I don't know, mm. but I think I'm asking a, you because I don't know. There's <laughs> a general crisis uh, of authority, isn't there, in, mm -hmm. in this country? Mm. I mean, everything seems to have lost its legitimacy and its legitimate authority, and that includes the police. Um, the courts have too, right. um, and certainly Parliament. So I think it's a broader malaise. I mean, it, it sounds like a real get-out to say that, but I just think it is. These things happen yeah. when there is a general malaise. It's, it's far too simplistic to say, we fix the police and everything else is going to fall into place. In, in, in a way, it's almost like the mirror image of intersectionality, isn't it? You know, people use intersectionality and say, well, women are oppressed because the working class are oppressed and because people of colour are oppressed and it all fits together like that. Yeah. I think the opposite, the other side of the coin, is actually true. I think, you know, the, the police can't work if the judiciary doesn't work, if the institutions don't work, if, if education doesn't mm -hmm. work. All of those things which are supposed to fit together and work like that, they just don't. You I know, wonder they, they how much like of it that. might be to do with the, the, the way that, the, obviously, the Met's a huge police force, that mm. it might actually be, just in practical terms, it might be, you know, that the structure alongside the sort of vagueness and so the way that the the institution has developed and sort of swelled in size mm. whether that allows room for mediocrity and the mediocrity allows room for abuse and you know people oh, I, th take I think that's, out I think that's certainly the case because with any large institution or corporation there there is always room for all of those things but it comes down to leadership. It doesn't matter how big yeah. it is. It still comes but down to a, leadership. But that's the crisis of authority again, yeah, isn't it? Because people are not willing to properly take a leadership mm. position. They're not willing to be very clear and say that's wrong mm. and this is right. Mm. This is what our job is and that isn't what our job mm. is. So their unwillingness to basically have the values that a police force needs to have but it's is probably part of the problem. And it's an absolutely... Integrity. It's, it's, an, but integrity. It's, it's an existential crisis for them because you can't have a police force that is present on the streets, if it ever is, but which is cringing and apologetic in the mm. face of criminality. It just it just doesn't work, you know. So yeah. you arrest someone and immediately they're going to say, well, this is sexism or this is racism. Prove to me it's not, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an absolute crisis for them. Should we talk about Boris Johnson's lack <laughs> of a legacy, perhaps? Um, yeah, because that's... Kind of, I have to say this has kind of passed me by this a bit because you know, I think, sorry, I've just totally interrupted you there, actually. But I mean, I think what you're going to say is <laughs> basically, should we look, we look at Boris uh, uh, Johnson's election and also particularly this investigation, this committee with COVID going on? Mm. But I'd rather you try to explain the well, mess no, no, than but me. It, there's, been this, there's been this about whether he knew he was breaking rules or, you know, not about whether the rules were actually right or wrong. Whether he mm. recklessly whether he misled Parliament. Yeah, there's that going on which is what you might call the Westminster bubble, 
24-hour news cycle interesting bit. Mm. And then there's the other bit, which is that basically that this is the third, in fact, I think to the day, if not yesterday, the third anniversary it's of third the anniversary. first lo lockdown. Yeah. And it really is a case of what goes around comes around, mm. isn't yes. it? And there have been lots of <laughs> very good articles. Admittedly, there's been a, uh, you know, there's been a lot this week, actually, if you think about the, you know, whether it was a good thing to go into lockdown. I was always opposed to lockdown. Um, you know, uh, from, the, from the start, it all felt off to me. It felt wrong. But, you know, you've had this week uh, a superb article by Madeleine Grant in The Telegraph, um, which was all about what lockdown kind of did and what it exposed about us, and mm. not in a good way. And then you've had Piers Morgan, who, I, for me, became the kind of witch finder general of the whole thing, mm. more or less saying, you know, I was wrong, but it was because the science changed. Mm. Right, so I admit now that I have made certain mistakes. So in That's other words, why you're supposed the, to be humble in the first place, because well, science yes, exactly. does that. Well, you're meant to be sceptical <laughs> as a journalist, yeah. But the thing is, it's, <laughs> it's almost like the science has moved on to the science yes, isn't exactly. bothered about that now. The science is about uh, the environment now. Yes, you know, exactly. That's where the it science. It sounds like the problem and that's may how have been it is. the problem may have been his understanding of what science <laughs> is. I think it's the point I was making in a very laboured way. There, it's a, to me, that whole thing is much more interesting, I had locked now, mm. than what happens to Boris Johnson. Mm. But having said that, you asked that question. Um, didn't, I, I've seen conflicting reports about him. Didn't he, some people thought he was shafted, you know, good and proper. Other, other people said he came out of it not so bad. But why are we all so concerned about his career? About him? Yeah, why? I personally, couldn't give a damn mm -hmm. about whether mm. I mean all the, the like silly details that came out during this um, hearing mm. whatever you should call it about whether or not people in number 10 passed pens to each other mm. it's just all so petty and for me it the, the, in the bigger picture <laughs> I, he, sorry can I just interrupt I was reading about that today and it's, it's funny I was just I, 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 my mind was half on it and and Boris Johnson was saying um, I just read it very quickly and said nobody touched anybody else's pens and I, for, for a second <laughs> I felt it said so nobody touched anybody else's pens and I, immediately I became outraged of Harrogate I should think not not at number 10 oh it's pens yeah sorry carry well, on well I can't remember who it was somebody somebody tweeted I think it was saying I couldn't give a damn if Boris Johnson was like naked riding a space hopper around Downing Street mm. you know it's not it's sort of besides the point um, but you know for me it's a case of as we've discussed this many times, yada, 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 they didn't think that COVID was as bad as they were frightening everyone else into believing mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that they created rules, regulations, laws, guidance, mm -hmm. etc., that was so impossible for any human being mm -hmm. to reasonably follow that mm -hmm. of course, being human beings, they fell foul of their own rules. Yeah. I personally don't, I, I believe Boris when he says he didn't think that he was misleading the House. I don't think it really matters. I think it's mm. a total waste of parliamentary time. Mm. I think there are a lot of things that the government could be really seriously having an inquiry into in terms of what actually happened during COVID. And this whole thing around Boris Johnson is a total waste of time and a total red herring. And I, th I, I imagine, I, pr I'm, I presume I'm not alone in this. I'd love to know what people think in the comments. 
um, I just don't care. No. I'm just not interested in it at all. No, no, I, mean, I know what you mean. Yeah. It was cavalier on two fronts, really, wasn't it? The, the, the first front is ridiculously locking down people and, and essentially people dying because of it and, and people being ill and, and all of the abuse that came out of it as well, which I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And their attitude and behaviour amongst themselves yes. in and around Downing Street. Well, so it's a perfect storm of two idiot positions. I think if you want to talk about accountability, you mentioned a few, like that there are actually quite a lot of people who have done a complete vault face and have mm. gone from mm. from pe people like Andrew Neil, for example, mm. have got who have gone from like persecuting mm. people who were skeptical. Yeah. And and nothing Has wrong with. Uh, I don't. I don't know if Andrew Neil has. I just know that he was one of the ones who you know put out oh, one yeah, of those yeah. real mm. strongly mm. worded headlines. I don't know if he's actually you know mm. taken a different stance on this, but I have seen a lot of people recently. You mentioned Piers Morgan, mm. who have sort of accepted that they they were wrong about these things. And I remember a long time ago there was one of these articles that sort of asked for an amnesty mm. over you know when we're talking about the accountability yeah, of people funny, who yeah. who really yeah. really strongly persecuted people who were just asking reasonable questions and mm. were being skeptical mm. were being reasonable about the science mm. were saying you might like to look at that that mm. looks like that you know mm. maybe we should be doing what sweden is doing maybe we should be questioning following china's public health policies on this and modeling ourselves after them people who were discussing things like the lab leak theory mm. that at one point were described as misinformation and now <laughs> we've come to a point where that seems to be the leading theory so people behaved really unreasonably at the beginning of the pandemic mm. yes we can focus on the government and the government's decisions and what they did to us but there are a lot of people who were complicit in basically silencing anybody mm. who was making reasonable criticisms of the government, I, but they don't want any accountability well, I, for I, themselves. I, I think, that's the, I, I think that's, that's the key point. And the, <coughs> what's the thing that we want to get out of all of these discussions? And, and there's only one conclusion that we can draw is that it must never happen again. But we're not really focusing on that, are we? No, we're talking we're about focusing on being silly <laughs> things. We're focusing on on Matt Hancock and the whole soap opera around Matt Hancock. That dies down. Whether or and not we've Boris got had Boris cake. now. Yeah, whether had whether Boris had cake. And it's it's these these personalities um, which which are it, it's a meaningless set of narratives in a way. It's why did this happen and how the hell do we make sure that it doesn't happen again that's what we that's the crux of it and we're just we're we're, we're involved in soap operas i think there's yeah. an there's an irony as well isn't there in focusing on boris and people saying that oh boris is trying to avoid responsibility for this and so on but actually a lot of the people who really were v clearly in hindsight when you look at the evidence and i don't think we we haven't mm. gone we haven't gone far enough in actually assessing the evidence and having a proper inquiry no. into the details of all of this stuff, particularly like excess deaths relating to yeah, public we're, health. Yeah, we're just not asking so the right questions. That's the problem. But <laughs> when we're like we're 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 re reacting like you know Boris is trying to avoid accountability, but there are an awful lot of people who were very loud at the beginning of the pandemic and trying mm. to silence reasonable people and to try and demonise reasonable people. And there's going to be no accountability for those people and no genuine sincere apology from those people mm. until the evidence is fully seen and instead we're distracted by this whole narrative around Boris Johnson. But, uh, but the thing is you won't get any kind of apology 
because the people that we're talking about when we keep saying there were very loud voices being like that we're talking about the media mm. let's be mm -hmm. clear about that mm. they are not going to suddenly turn around and say we were wrong it's yeah. just yeah, never fight. in their it's just not in their dna in any way shape or form you remember those press conferences which um I'm, i think some people watched you know religiously when they every day at one point i yeah. think those press conferences um because the questions were why aren't you doing more why aren't you locking down more why aren't you doing this more more nobody sort of said do you think maybe this is the wrong way mm. nobody none of them in the media said this and and also for that matter none of them asked where the thing came from in the first place wouldn't any self-respecting journalist yeah, want, to know want to know say, well, actually, well where is this thing from no one but none of them did mm -hmm. this these are the people we're talking about how can you hold a governing class to account when you are basically the visual display unit for that governing class <laughs> you are and, be, and behind that governing class is the civil service mm. but as well as the media and i think you're absolutely right the media are in the driving seat with this the labor party as well yeah were, were, were oh now they are involved. avoiding accountability and they're completely <laughs> you wouldn't believe you know there was there were one or two voices peter hitchens obviously was yeah. was, was was the main one and, and the loudest one and, and we we had him here mm -hmm. didn't we and and, mm -hmm. and and you know you had problems with the uh, oh he was taken down he was taken yes, down he wasn't was he? taken down yeah. that's what it was like that that's the, the height of the hysteria wasn't mm -hmm. it you know you said anything against the lockdowns you said anything against the the narrative you were closed down you were shut up and i think that there are reasonable people who are concerned that some of what we saw with covid and the policies these top-down policies that are particularly draconian mm. i think there are reasonable concerns surrounding climate change policy mm. so when you say the main point of of any inquiry is that there must, this must never happen again mm. but it, you know the narrative around even you know the way people now talk about Sweden well, that's that's misleading because some people are trying to make it look like they did have a lockdown in yeah. some way you know so I think but that's what I'm well that's what I say when I say the science has changed now to, to the environment and the climate mm -hmm. and and it's exactly the same narrative it's the it's the same panic and the people who were making reasonable objections like mm. those people who were complaining about 15-minute cities mm. in um, in Oxford mm. They are being tarred as fascists well, by well, so-called anti-fascists. We're all far right, aren't we? Now, you know, if you if you if you're not a, a, a lunatic left-wing nutter, you are far right. I think one thing that worries me actually slightly is that this, when they do the real inquiry, <clears throat> which is in some ways, you know, the Telegraph WhatsApp messages, they they were kind of informal, mm. you know, yeah. precursors to that. When they do the real thing, it's going to cost a fortune but something like seven years maybe I've mm. heard something mm -hmm. like that all the people that we're carrying, currently fretting about they will all have gone yeah. in the yeah. midst of time right? yeah. so it'll come out and I think my fear is that enough special interest groups will get around this inquiry for it to basically become a political kind of smorgasbord yeah. about ethnic breakdown yeah of course about yeah. you know women breakdown you yeah. know in terms of deaths etc what this proves about us that we're institutionally this that and the other thing yeah. it'll be the same but, thing. but by that point <coughs> i expect that a lot like we were saying about climate change mm. policy and so on that when we talk about the word institutional and what it means that actually a lot of these things that have resulted from covid 
will have become genuinely institutionalized, like nudging mm. and the use of behavioral science mm. to mm. try and manipulate people's behavior to, to frighten them into, you know, conf into obeying certain policies. But, um, and this in this attitude that we're now seeing with climate policy, not just here in the UK, but mm. across the world, like mm -hmm. in the Netherlands or elsewhere, this, this top-down imposition of policies that are quote for your own good but but isn't isn't it exhausting though when you're on mm. the wrong side of the mm. narrative mm. and you, and you 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 you're proved right in one instance and then the whole game is shifted onto another narrative and you have to go through exactly the same process again but you know what the outcome's going to be because mm. all of the all of the signs are there for the for the environment narrative it's exactly the same as the covid narrative the panic and all that and it's almost like sisyphus isn't it rolling yeah. a rock up I the hill and then letting it fall down again and then you have to go on to the next and you know Forgive me, but you know sometimes you feel really disillusioned about the whole thing. I you? think, unfortunately, we we have to accept that those people who were really very wrong and behaved in ways that were reprehensible to their opponents, to critics, to skeptics. I think we're going to have to accept that those people are not going to admit that they were wrong. No, They're no. just going to double down, mm. and that we're not really going to see proper accountability because, just like we were saying with the mm. police force. The governing class has forgotten how to govern. Mm. The media class has forgotten how to to mm. to, be, to behave with integrity within mm. the mainstream media. Obviously, not mm. all media organisations, but talking about like the BBC and so on. So, I think we just have to accept that no good is going to come of this, mm. and that we are just going to have to move on to trying to, to mitigate things, to mitigate mitigate negative consequences of these things in in other ways by f refocusing on you know whatever is happening currently but, rather than trying to get but, justice but we're fighting on so many fronts because as you're talking about that and i'm thinking about i'm thinking about both of those things i'm thinking about covid i'm thinking about climate i'm also thinking about genderism and children as well and we're proved right in in that narrative mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. and yet they're doubling down after after mermaids and tavistock and all of those kinds of things so they say we're waging a culture war, we're really not. We're fighting back against the culture war. Mm -hmm. And when people are so invested, they, they are inevitably going to double down. Mm -hmm. um, shall we talk about this um, final story this week, which is, um, so this year Ramadan has coincided with Lent. And um, in, uh, I believe it's the West End, I haven't actually seen it, it might be in Piccadilly yeah, Circus. No, it's One there Street, are... Coventry Street, which is a connecting street Quite a short street. Let's yeah. be about this. It's it's a connecting street between Leicester Square and and Piccadilly, basically. And in Muslim countries, Ramadan lights are something that is quite popular. And we saw a photograph of in the mm. press of Sadiq Khan posing with these Ramadan lights yes. behind him. So what's interesting <laughs> about this is a very um, a very explicit, you know, for the very first time, um, sort of statement mm. of Islam. In the mm, public mm. square, in a you know main main street in London, mm. is it yeah, the main yeah, street? Yeah, West End. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, this is coming after the census results that we discussed months mm. ago. Now, mm. um, Christianity becoming a minority, mm. Islam obviously being one of the growing demographics. Mm. Um, so, I, I, I that I thought was interesting um, about seeing this for me. Was that I wasn't I wasn't surprised at all. It just seems like 
you would you would expect it. I, you know, there's there's yeah. not a great deal to say about it. I think it's uh, what I find fascinating. Actually, well, actually, horribly predictable is actually a better description about these things. Is that the very people who would don't give any house room to religion, mm. who mm. probably quite love the fact that Christianity is on the decline, oh, shouting, shouting about it from the rooftops. They say nothing uh, when it comes to Islam. So, for example, they I would have thought they wouldn't like if they're going to be principled about it. They wouldn't like to see celebratory lights for religious. Mm -hmm. No, actually, they're doing more than that. They're, they're shouting about it from the rooftop, rooftops because they're framing it in terms of inclusivity. And, mm. and I don't think it, it, it's really that at all, or at least that isn't the impetus. I think the impetus really is about destroying um, the grand narrative of national identity, and it really is about deconstructing the unifying notion of tradition. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's what they're really responding to and they're framed, they don't give a, 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 a toss about Islam. It's just one of those things. Or they're using it. it. They're using it, but what, what, what it is, it's almost like a, a palimpsest, isn't it? It's written on top of the national identity and then it will be scrubbed off and then pride will be written on mm. top of it mm -hmm. and then something else will be scrubbed off and whatever's useful at that particular time to attack Britain and Britishness will be used and, I think there's and, something and Islam is just being there's something sort of way. the way that you described that there about sort of one thing being and then rubbed off and then mm. another thing that, and there's something sort of almost degrading to the people who are in, yeah, involved exactly. in those particular groups or cultures that they they're almost that it's done in this sort of tokenistic way I'm sure that there'll be lots of Muslims who will you know very happy to see these lights up celebrating Ramadan mm. and whatnot. But I think it's, what's in interesting to me is that we've seen this kind of like receding of Christianity from the mm. public square, mm. this sense that religion has to sort of like stay out of it. And even within the Church of England, mm. like you see the ch increasing discussions about disestablishing the church, about the need to, to keep um, relig religion in the private sphere, mm. that we are, and we are, very much a post-Christian country now. It's sad for me to say as a Christian, mm, but we're mm. not a Christian country anymore. We have a Christian Christianity baked into the very fabric mm. of our being as a country and as a culture. Um, but we have moved now to a point where we are. Mm. We are a post-Christian nation. And so there's nothing really surprising to me about seeing these lights. But then no. I think it's a very well, short step from that though, to having say the public the call to prayer, mm -hmm. which for me is, you know, I, I like the sound of church bells, but I, w I don't think I would feel comfortable mm -hmm. with the call to prayer. I, the, we are you know. colonised by a set of ideologies, aren't we? Um, and we see them um, by these visual symbols. I mean, the pride flag or the, the, the hundreds of flag that flags that represent sexual identities is, is, is one version of, uh, of colonization. This is another version of colonization and, and it's, and it's weaponizing a religion. I'm not having a go here at uh, Islam. I'm just, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm having a go at the people who are weaponizing it. And it is a kind of colonization and it's a, it's a, it's a deconstruction of, of, of who we are and, and our past. And the thing is, is that they're all, they're at variance with each other. Yeah. You know the the sexual identity, the LGBTQ mm. alphabet people, mm. right? You know, there is there's nothing between them and 
Islam, for example. Mm. Well, this is sort of my point, is that you can't it's, just... It's, it's my <coughs> enemy's enemy, isn't it? That's, I, I suppose that's the point I'm making. You know, they will kind of uh, congregate together against a common enemy, which is the West, which is Britishness, which is tradition, and all of those things. But it's, it's the queers for Palestine mentality, which I mentioned but last week, and I've mentioned this it is again. The, this what is most people's attitude, and I do share this with, when they saw, when they saw Light's Happy Ramadan, I think they will feel not happy or uncomfortable mm. about it, yeah. I think. And they will feel at the same time totally and utterly powerless to even express that. Mm. But you, you, I can, so one of the, one of the criticisms of like multiculturalism or mm. group-based politics is that the diversity always stops at the boundary of the group. There's mm. never any sort of recognition of the diversity within groups. Mm. And then you have this idea that they're basically interchangeable, that you mm. can re just replace mm. Islam with LGBTQI mm. plus whatever. You, the, the, you know, these, whereas actually probably you could, if you wanted to, I'm not saying anyone should, you could make the argument that so a gay person could say, well, I feel that Ramadan in a public street like this is homophobic mm. because mm. in some yep. Muslim countries they hang mm. gay people from cranes mm. and throw them off of rooftops exactly. or because um, Islam says X, Y and Z about homosexuals and so I feel that this is homophobic. Or, or you could, in the reverse, mm. you could say, well, I feel that having all of these pride flags in the public sp space yeah. is Islamophobic mm. Mm. because it's my, v I believe that this is this is a sin. So well, you, you could, so well, they're, I mean, they're that's, groups that's, that are in conflict that, with one another. Yeah, that's, that's, no, why, that's why I say they're so, so such uncomfortable bedfellows and you have to ask yourself why are they together in bed you know mm. they're together in bed not because they want to be or because they've got any kind of understanding or or concert of understanding it's because it's what they're against it's my enemy's enemy i think what really puts it into perspective is the idea that somehow could you imagine seeing happy christmas lights going up in an islamic country mm. 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 can you in, in any islamic city but the argument could you imagine official because these are kind of official lights you know could you imagine them going up no chance ah, no chance. but in an islamic country whereas the argument would be that now we're no longer a christian country mm. yes but we're a selectively secular that's disingenuous country. And we all know it really <laughs> of is. course Actually, I mean, the, yes. funny thing is, the funny thing about all of this is that sorry you, correct me if i'm wrong but a bit like you say lent right? mm -hmm. uh, it's not a happy time is it right i mean everyone's fasting Mm. Well, I mean, it's, it's not it's, like a celebratory time. Yeah. Um, well, the iftars at the end is a, it's a mm -hmm. very celebratory thing, and it's it's the most holy month in mm. the Islamic calendar, and so in that respect, it is kind of celebratory. I, it's I sort of like Lent. I, I, I kind of think the the religion thing is a bit of a red herring here. I think tradition is the main thing, and and it's about our past, and it's about deconstructing, yeah. dismantling, and attacking our past, and and and, and religion I is just is just the nearest weapon. To I think it. that the author authorities, the mayor of London and so on, would not be so favourable to a very public display in London of the Le of the Lenten tradition. If we wanted no, no, no. to have a passion play, a traditional medieval mm. passion play in Trafalgar Square, I can't imagine a, a photo of Sadiq Khan posing in front of no. it, very proud because of the di no. diversity of even, London. I can't imagine even that so, happening in, in York, maybe it does. I don't so know, I think, I mean, sort of goes to the heart of it is that the traditions that have, you know 
the Hanisa, the traditional traditions of this mm. country in Lent, many people I think probably don't really know anything about Lent yeah, or Lenten traditions true. anymore. Yeah. Um, but we, you just, you would be surprised to see those in the public square mm. in London, mm. particularly in London or in any of the main cities where Christianity is. Well, although, I mean, actually, it depends they, on the community. Do you know what would happen if you saw them? Do you know what the response would be? They would be denigrated immediately as being far right. Mm. That's what the response would be. And I imagine that you probably would have people making those sorts of criticisms of it's homophobic mm. or transphobic or, mm. yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, all of those would, would pile on, onto the top of it, but essentially it would be right-wing, it, it would be exclusionary, it would be all of those things. Well, what a way to end my last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, well, we guys. we always end on a very, very melancholy note. <laughs> <laughs> So thank, thank you so much for, thank you thanks, for, for having yeah, me all for all so of much. these episodes. I don't even know how many we've done now, but thank you so much. And we'll and, see you um, at our conference on the yes, and I will be 22nd of I, April. And you are going to be a, a guest here mm. quite a yeah. lot, aren't you? You're not going to be able to get rid of me not that as easily. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, Peter. Thank you, thanks Philip. So and thank you for watching, not just this episode, but to all of you who have watched so many episodes until this point. Personally, thank you so much for watching. Please like, comment, subscribe. Let me know what you think in the comments below um, about the topics that we've been discussing here today. And I am sure at some point I will see you next time on Newspeak. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as three pounds per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.